We are going to have fun, aren't we? There are a lot of questions in our world today. One of my favorite ones starts with, knock, knock. If you ask my daughter Olivia, she will have a lot of answers to tell you. And after every one of them, you will go, oh. <laughs> she and Larry conspired to come up with those, I think. But Our culture seems to like questioning. It likes to ask questions and question things, particularly to obscure or to criticize, not necessarily to get an answer. See, because we're afraid of answers. Our culture shies away from any authority in answers. Because if you speak with authority, you're going to take flack. Somebody's going to get offended. Oh, no. Not offense. Oh, boy. No, we have to have it all the way we like it all the time, says the spoiled three-year-old. No, let's, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Because uncertainty can seem safe, but it's only evil things that have to hide. He who does what is right comes to the light. So we've begun to lose in our culture the art of the Socratic method of asking questions in order to get to an answer, to stimulate thought and conversation in a particular direction. But Jesus knew it. He used it well. He asked nearly 180 questions in the Gospels. I went through and I counted. <laughs> Took me a while. And I'm going to go through, not all of them, don't worry. Not going to keep you till Tuesday. But um, I'm going to go through about a third of them and then talk about uh, groups of them at the end. Because they seem to fall into several categories. And we'll talk about that. Sometimes when Jesus asked a question, it was rhetorical. What's a rhetorical question? Exactly. <laughs> he would ask the question, and of course the answer would hang in the air because everyone knew what the answer was. But other times, his questions have some striking conclusions. So there are some things I noticed when I put all these questions together. There seem to be about six or so major themes, so I'm going to introduce the questions grouped by theme. And then we will learn some things as we go. Are we on? <laughs> We're on. Look out. Kaboom. Category number one. Questions to help start or continue the conversation. One of the things that I kept running into as I looked at these questions was that Jesus already knows all the answers to all of them. We forget that because we don't. We're like, well, of course you would ask that. Well, we would ask it, but he doesn't have to. So if he does, maybe there's another reason he's asking it. One of them is because he wants us with him in what he's talking about. He wants us following along. So sometimes he asks questions to keep the conversation going so we won't check out and miss what he's about to show us. Like these examples. What's this dispute that you're having with each other as you walk along? Well, he knows what the dispute is. Why would he ask the disciples about it? Well, I can think of two reasons. One, hey, are you listening to what you're saying? Or is your mouth just running? Because we do that, right? Another reason is, hey, why? Why are you talking about that? What's the point? Is this a good thing to be talking about? It's another good question we should ask ourselves from time to time. This one's interesting to me from Mark 8, 23. Do you see anything? He's talking to a blind man, and he's in the process of healing him. We don't always think of healings and miracles as a process because it's not as dramatic, and we're impatient because human. And we want, boom, let the lightning strike, man. Let's just get it done. But Jesus is not in a hurry. 
Not even for a man who's been blind for as long as he's been blind. Do you see anything? Interesting question. And I love this one. John eleven thirty four. Where have you put him? He knows where Lazarus is. He knows exactly where he is, physically and spiritually. But if he had walked into Mary and Martha's house weeks before and said, here in about a week or two, your brother's going to die. I'm going to wait and not come and heal him. And then I'm going to come and raise him from the dead. Nobody would have bought it. That's too much, right? We're not ready for that usually. Jesus is smart. Of course he is. He waits till they've already buried him when there's no doubt that he's dead. <coughs> Definitely dead. No coming back. No way it could be an accident. No ringing of the bell in the coffin or anything. Guy is done. And then he asks them, where have you put him? So that they'll come with him and be there when he brings him out again. There's a reason he asks these questions. And it's not because he needs information. Love that one. <laughs> and John 21.5, he finds the boys out on the lake, having caught, again, no fish. Makes you wonder why they're professional fishermen sometimes, doesn't it? Have you caught any fish? No. Again. He knows they haven't caught any fish. He wants the conversation. He wants us with him in what he's doing. Because he doesn't need us. We have nothing to offer him. But he wants us. Because he has everything to offer us. And he engages the crowds in this last one to keep them following along with what he's teaching. What did you go out to see? And then he answers it. No, that's not it. What then? No, that's not it either. But what did you go out to see? Because now that he's asking questions and having a conversation essentially with himself, the crowds are paying attention. They're listening. They're following along because questions have this inherent, this innate quality of unresolved information. Someone asks a question, we wait automatically for... There's a reason you all said something. It doesn't feel right if you don't. Someone asks a question and if nobody answers it, something doesn't feel quite right. Jesus knew this. So this is how he keeps the crowd because he can't let all of them answer, right? Thousands of people, all of them answering, not always the same answer. That'd be chaos, wouldn't it? But this, this gets his point across. And it keeps them engaged. Brilliant. I should learn something from that. So, in some cases, Jesus asks a question because he wants to keep the conversation going so that we will pay attention to the answer he has. I found mm, at least half a dozen different, different instances of that. The next one, where is your faith? Where is it? Because we have it. It's not always in something good, but we have it. Fear is just faith in the opposite direction. We believe something bad is going to happen instead of something good. But it's faith. We have it. We have faith. The question is, where do we have it? Where have we put it? My grandfather, late grandfather, had a t-shirt that said, I finally got it all together, but I forgot where I put it. <laughs> I can relate. Many's the time my wife and I go, where's that so-and-so? Oh, I put it in the, no, I moved it. No, wait, it, it, it's, it's not here. I put it right here, and it's not there. How many people live in our house? 
Ah, that's why it's not where I put it. Somebody else lives in my house and doesn't tell me everything that they move around. Has that ever happened to you? My parents tell me fantastic stories that are hard to believe about putting things down and finding them there again. I'm, I, I'm not sure it's true. <laughs> but all other kids have moved out, so I don't know. <laughs> Where is your faith? Why are you fearful? Why? Think about it. Think about who Jesus is. He's right there with them in the boat in the storm and they think they're going to sink. Really? I get feeling it. Feeling fear is not something we can always help. But we don't have to agree with it. C.S. Lewis talked about faith being a habit that you have to practice. You have to train it. Training involves overcoming discomfort. It involves making yourself do something that yourself doesn't want to do. Over and over again. Faith is an action, therefore. Something we have to choose. Just like choosing to love your spouse every day. It's a choice. And we've made the commitment to Christ, but it's something we again have to choose in each moment. Why are you fearful? Stop and think. Is that really something we should be agreeing with? Sermon on the Mount is the next one. Isn't life more than food? The body more than clothes? We have it really easy in this country. We can gain weight by sniffing food. Can I get an amen? How many countries the world over would love to have even half of the food we have access to? And we still worry about whether we'll have enough. We still worry about the economy. There's countries that don't have an economy. Why are you fearful? Why do you worry? Stop and think about it a minute. What are we really putting our faith in? Aren't you worth more than the birds of the air? Don't you believe I'm going to take care of you? We forget, don't we? We get so caught up in the feelings. We get caught up in the news or we get caught up in the prices. I'm guilty of paying far more attention to the price of gas than I should. Anybody else? Gas prices don't rule my destiny. God does. <laughs> but we forget. We need reminders. Won't he do much more for you? Oh, ye of little faith. Thankfully, what he does for us is not dependent entirely upon our faith. Amen. Matthew 9, 28, he says to the blind man, do you believe that I can do this? Do you? He didn't ask that to everybody. I think sometimes he asks it just to make sure we're really cluing in to what's really going on. Do you believe that I can do this? Because sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't pray like we believe in good things. Sometimes we don't pray like we believe God's all-powerful. Sometimes we don't pray like we believe he has good things in store and is already doing more than we can ask or imagine. Hey, do you believe? Oh, wait. Yes. Yes, I do. And I, Mark 9, 21. How long has this been happening to him? Very conversational and very unnecessary. Jesus knows how long it's been happening. This is the boy with the seizures. How long has this been happening? You know, like a doctor would ask. He knows, right? He knows better than the dad knows. So why did he ask? Maybe it's so that the dad can say, it's been happening this long, and Jesus can say, but I'm this powerful. Watch. Take it away. 
Because sometimes Jesus likes to set us up, doesn't he? And I think sometimes he likes to set up our enemy too. Oh, you think you've got something. Oh, you think you've got plans. Oh, you think you're going to make these people suffer and run away. You just, you just watch. Because the worse that Satan tries to make it, the more powerful is the God who beats him at it. Luke 24, why are you troubled? Yes, I know life hurts. It's hard. But that's not all there is to it. That's not the whole story. Looking back in eternity, are we, are we even going to remember most of it? We forget, don't we? Jesus asks questions to help remind us of what we're supposed to be focusing on and don't usually do a very good job of. Next category, I found almost 40 that seem to fit this. Do you know, do you remember, do you believe the truth? Some of this is just simple recall. Because we even struggle with that. Ever forgot where you parked? Ever forgot your child's name? But, uh, <laughs> kid, offspring of mine. Our brains are not perfect. Our brains tell us they are. Are you not deceived because you don't know the Scriptures? Boy, we can give an amen to that, can't we? If you don't know the Scriptures, you're going to be way off somewhere. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way, no truth, and no life in any other direction. If you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God, you are definitely going to be deceived. Are you a teacher and don't know these things? That's scary. I know there's things I don't know. If I've told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how you believe if I tell you about things of heaven? This is Jesus to Nicodemus. Do you know? Maybe you should go look again. What did Moses command you? Is it not written? Haven't you read? Sensing a theme here. Have you never read? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? What is written? Isn't it written? Because the conclusions that these people were coming to showed that they obviously had forgotten what was written. Just like nearly every one of the prophets, Jesus spends a great deal of time taking his people and saying, back to the basics. Back to the truth that I know you've heard, I know you've read, and I know you've understood and have forgotten, or you've wandered off, or you've tried to turn it into something it's not. No. Get rid of all that junk. Go back to the truth. Because it's true. God hasn't changed. His truth hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed. His character hasn't changed. We try to change it. We try to turn it into, we try to make God in our image. It's very tempting. Because it's comfortable. And we like our comfort. We like it easy. So Jesus has to make us uncomfortable again with these questions that we don't want to have to answer. Haven't you read? Isn't it written? Go back and read. Read some more. You ever read through the Bible and it's the Bible you've read through more than once and you find yourself going, I didn't know that was in there. Where, where, where was that? Or you read something that you know you've read dozens, perhaps hundreds of times and all of a sudden, oh, I get it. How did I not get that before? 
doesn't mean that you're an idiot, although we all have those moments, right? Sometimes it's just that we haven't gone through what that scripture is for. And then suddenly we have, and suddenly it makes sense. Like when somebody asks, how do I know I'm in love? And people say, well, all the songs make sense. Sometimes it's that way. Sometimes it's that God is showing us something new to us for the first time. And sometimes our brain's just not working. We need to go back and read it again. And again in uh, Matthew 15, Mark 6, down there at the bottom. How many loaves do you have? Jesus knows how many loaves we have, right? Why is he asking that one? Well, we've only got five. Exactly. You've only got five. You don't even need that many. This is the God who made manna in the wilderness for how many years? Forty. You know what kind of pile of food that would be? And they're worried because they only have five loaves? Just like us? Sometimes I get worried about preaching because I know me. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. I don't, you know, I list all my own weaknesses and just stare at it. God's like, no, no, loaves and fish. You're good. I got this. Like he always does, right? Why do we forget? (laughs) How many loaves do you have? Because it doesn't really matter. Except to compare what little we have with all that God does from it. Twelve baskets full of leftovers? It would have been enough to do 12 baskets of just food to to spread between 5,000 people, but leftovers. Everybody was stuffed, Thanksgiving stuffed from five loaves and two fish. And Jesus asks them about this later when they're in the boat and they're arguing about because they didn't bring any bread. And he's like, didn't bring any bread, really? You're worried about bread? (laughs) How many loaves did we have when I fed the 5,000? How many when I fed the (laughs) 4,000? Don't worry about the bread. I got it covered. We need help, don't we? There's a uh, group of scriptures in here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but it's, all of them are a series of reminders of things we already know, very obvious, plain things to any human. Things like, which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that sanctifies the gold? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? How then can the Messiah be David's son if David calls him Lord? I mean, these were not hidden things. These were not strange things. These were clear, obvious things. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny or five sparrows for two pennies? Oh, yeah. We need help. Thankfully, God knows we need help and does not begrudge it. In fact, he sent the Holy Spirit for that primary purpose. To remind us of what Jesus said and lead us into all truth. Then a quote from Psalm 22 when Jesus is on the cross. This is just mind-blowing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's God, isn't he? Father and Son, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Probably the tightest relationship ever, right? Why have you forsaken me? If it weren't him saying it, I'd have said, that's an impossible question. That, That can't happen. 
but every one of us has felt that way or will. And we needed to see that our Savior understood what it felt like. Luke twenty two thirty five. When I sent you out without all these things that the world says you have to have, did you lack anything? Anybody here ever been poor? Ever had to go without some stuff? Ever had to, well, you don't have to, but has anyone ever worried about the paying off the bills, worried about the rent, worried about the, you, know? you made it, didn't you? Look at you now. Remember that. Remember those loaves back when you only had five and now you've got 12 baskets full and you're able to give to other people. Remember that. God's the reason for that. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe? Didn't I tell you that if you believed, don't you believe? <laughs> it's the same thing again. We forget. We wander off. We lose our focus so frequently, don't we? You ever tried to tell a story to like a five-year-old? You'll get about that far before they'll have something to say, totally off topic. And you'll get about that far again before they do it again. And then you turn around and they're gone because <laughs> they've gone off to do something, right? That's us. We're the five-year-old with ADD that needs help. We need these questions. That's why they're in the Gospels. Because we need to be reminded that we need to be reminded so that we'll start practicing reminding ourselves and each other. Do you believe? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, if this is what you believe, then this is what you should do with it. He goes on to a um, series of Almost 50 questions that have to do with, do you get it? Do you understand? Do you see what it means? Now that we've gone over the basic facts, let's apply it. If you say this is what you believe, and if you say you know this, what does it mean in terms of your behavior? How do you apply this to your life? Let's make it practical. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? They had not been thinking of it like that. With them, it was all about the rules themselves, not about the meaning of the rules, not about the God who made the rules, not about the relationship between that God and the people he made the rules for. What is the intent behind the law? What kind of a God would say this? What does he want from this? They weren't asking that question. It was all about winning the game for them, and we're the same way have been for a while. All of our attempts at superstition, good luck, bad luck, all that stuff is a vain attempt to manipulate the world by mechanical means and ignore the very relational God behind it all, who's in it all. <laughs> and then where did John's baptism come from? Uh-oh. He may have us on this one. Did it come from heaven or from men? Again, he knows the answer to this question. But he also knows that they've been avoiding this question. They've nicely packaged it up in a little box that they don't have to pay any attention to and packed it on a shelf and went on their merry way. And Jesus is saying, no, Back to the truth. No. Back to the truth. You don't get to ignore that. You don't get to put that aside. You don't get to wait till it's convenient. We don't tell kids, you know, you should wait till you feel like doing the right thing. Are you nuts? Does anyone ever feel like doing the right 
thing, I find most of the time the right thing is uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. Dear, I heard something. Oh, no. That means I got to get out of bed, right? Somebody's got to answer the phone. Somebody's got to answer the door. Somebody's got to go talk to the teacher. Somebody's got to go talk. Somebody's got to go. Ignorance is not bliss. That is a lie. There is always a bill to pay. We've got to step up. Because if we don't do it on our own, we will have to be forced to do it eventually. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave? You want it this way, but you're not willing to apply that same standard to other people. Let's put the shoe on the other foot. Let's trade places, see if that rule still applies. We all want to break the rules, but we don't want anyone to get away with breaking the rules against us. We're all hypocrites. We need to remember that. We don't want to remember that. We want to look in the mirror and go, yeah. We don't want to look in the mirror and go, oh, that's still there. Jesus is not being cruel with this. He knows that there's wrath coming. The Bible says so in many places. If we don't deal with sin, if we don't bring it to Jesus to be dealt with, it will kill us in the worst way and everyone around us. Whoops, there we go. Have you understood all these things? I love that one. And the disciples are like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we're good, we got it. We're that way too, aren't we? We're half asleep and, you get it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I got it. Little did they know that they would be teaching all these things eventually. But Jesus knew. Can the blind lead the blind? The teaching about the specks and logs is so applicable so many times. We like to think that we have something to offer other people. And sometimes we do, but it's not us. It's not us. It's Jesus. More on that in a little bit. Mm. Do you think these Galileans were more sinful than all the others? Do you think those upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell were more sinful than... Back to the superstition thing. We want the world to be mechanical. We want to just be able to push buttons and get what we want. God be the cosmic slot machine or something. Because then we, don't, we think that we can get away with not having to think. And I'm sorry, but the world was not made for that. We were not made for that. We were given a brain. We have to use it, especially when we don't want to use it. The whole world is in the bondage of sin. And you are going to get punished unjustly at some point in your life. You probably have been there already. It's not a reason to get mad at God. It's a reason to go to Him. He's the only one who can fix it. Because the problem is not the circumstances. It's not the other people. The problem is us and the sin. I mean, I'm repeating myself here, but this is, this is it. Back to the truth. What man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one, doesn't leave the 99 and go after the last one? Jesus was so good at taking things that we were familiar with. I say we because we read it, but things that humans can relate to so that we can now relate to him. 
I wonder sometimes if all of creation was primarily for that reason. So that we would have some way to relate to a God who's so far beyond us. I like this next section because I like dramatic stuff. Maybe you can tell a little bit. Do you know who you're talking to? Because we forget that as well. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? And there's two answers to this. Because in all the footnotes I've read, it says that he was referring to his sacrificial death. And of course, it wasn't time for that yet, so this concern didn't have anything to do with that. Which is a little puzzling, because then Jesus immediately goes and does exactly what his mom wanted him to do, and that's make some more wine. But then I started thinking, wine, wait a minute. We talk about wine almost every week in communion. What does this concern of yours have to do with me? Wait a minute. It does have something to do with him. I wonder if he meant it that way. Casting out the um, legion of demons made me stop and think. Because it's the only time where Jesus asks for the name of a demon. Why would he do that? He knows the demon's name, right? What's the demon's name? Legion, not individual, not solo, but legion. Approximately 6,000 soldiers in a Roman legion. Now, why? Why would Jesus want the people around him to hear that? Because if this man's got a legion of demons and they all get cast out, how much more powerful is the God who casts them out? One demon, seven demons, pfft. legion, pfft. legion, legion. And they are begging for mercy from our Savior. Somebody say amen. Who touched my robes? He knows who touched his robes. <laughs> Why would he ask? Why would he want the woman to be known? Why would he want the woman to tell all that she had been through before she got healed? Why? Full story, full glory. That's why he asked. Because his disciples were like, everybody's touching your robes. What do you mean? There's more to it than that, Peter. Why do you call me good? If you're familiar with the line, the witch, and the wardrobe, you'll remember uh, Professor Diggory Kirk, who when they're asking about what to do with Lucy, who's apparently made up this incredible story about a wardrobe and a fawn and, and all this stuff. And he goes off. Logic! Why don't they teach logic in these schools? And this is a primary example of it. Why do you call me good? Why? Why me? Why good? There is only one who is good, Jesus says, God. And nobody disputes that. Everybody's like, mm -hmm, yeah, amen, yes. Wait a minute. If God's the only one who's good, right? And if Jesus is good, <laughs> have you understood? Have you thought it through? Do you see the application? Because we don't. Sometimes we need a good, swift, godly kick in the pants, don't we? This one made me think, what do you want me to do for you? Ever seen the kid in the store who's got one hand on their mom 
and who's kind of staring off into space, just going, mommy, 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 mommy. I think sometimes we do that to God. We haven't really thought about what we're praying about. We haven't really thought about what God's will is. We haven't really thought about who we're talking to. We're just grabbing hold and saying, Jesus, Father, help. He's like, what do you want me to do? Because you need to think about this. God's not here to make us comfortable, although he does a lot more of it than we give him credit for. He's a God of action. He doesn't sit back and just watch the universe. He's intimately involved in every facet of it. What do you want me to do? Remember what he asked Solomon? What shall I give you? Solomon had his brain on for that one. Sometimes we don't. And then why are you testing me, hypocrites? This is the, <laughs> the very confrontational scene with the denarius. Whose image and inscription is this? Render the Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Why are you testing me? First, why are you testing me? Did anyone ever beat Jesus at a test? <laughs> Let's see. Jesus 25, Pharisees still haven't scored yet. Sadducees haven't scored yet. Herodians haven't scored yet. Disciples aren't even on the board. <laughs> I mean, why would you test Jesus? Who do you think you are? Who do you think he is? And the testing part of it. They had so much faith in their ability to be clever. Never played word games with a six-year-old? Oh, they're clever. And we nod and smile indulgently and go, if they only knew. Now, God doesn't treat us that way, but sometimes we treat him that way. But God, see, I did this, and so now you need to, mm, you better put that away. Why are you thinking in your hearts, which is easier to say? Same thing again. Only God can heal. Only God can forgive. Jesus is healing and forgiving. And then this one. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because I am sending you out into the world to say it. You need to know who you say that I am. That's our mission. To tell the world who Jesus is. I did not come to bring peace to the earth. Peace inside of us, yes. Peace between us, yes. But this world's circumstances are not going to be peaceful as long as we have an enemy. We're in a war. And this one. Who among you can convict me of sin? Now, our culture just blows this off because our culture doesn't want to talk about sin. We don't want to convict anybody of sin. Sin's for the birds. Let's just all have a good time. Well, the Jews were a different story. Sin was everything. Because how you won the game was by not breaking any of the rules. See, I didn't sin. Check, 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 check. Pharisees 500. And so when Jesus asked, which of you can convict me of sin, that's got to slap them in the face. Because they can't. Not a one of them about any sin for anything. I hope that made them scratch their head. And then, this is just so lovely, John 20, 15. He's risen from the dead. He's the most joyful being ever. He sees Mary Magdalene in tears, brokenhearted, on top of the grief of her Lord. Now she can't find his body. She's so distraught. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it 
that you're looking for. Because there's no dead Jesus anymore. Mm. Who is it that you're looking for? Last category. Remember who you are and have you checked yourself? You should go look in the mirror. There's something sticking out. Watch it there. You've got a dangling participle. Yeah. <laughs> what were you disciples arguing about on the way? He knows what they were arguing about. But that's a good way to shut up that argument, isn't it? All right, boys, enough. You're focused on the wrong thing. Let's, let's get back. This is, this is astounding. Matthew 26, 50. Friend to Judas in the garden, right before he kisses him and betrays him. Friend, why have you come? Last chance. You're still my friend. Why have you come? Why? Is it really worth those 30 silver coins? And then in two places, this is one of them, when a woman comes to anoint Jesus, and she starts taking heat from the people around him. Why wasn't this given to the poor? The poor are more important. You're being too extravagant, but why are you bothering this woman? Mm. If I'm in that room, my eyes are on my plate. I'm eating real busily at that point. Don't bother the woman. She's anointed me for burial. She's done a good deed for me. Back off. Specs and logs again. How can you possibly give what you don't have? If you've got logs in your own eye, you've got no business looking to pick a speck out of someone else's eye. And that's all of us all the time. Plenty of logs to go around. Do you want to get well? Mommy, mommy, mommy. Hey, hey, poke, poke. You awake? Let's be purposeful. Let's be intentional. <laughs> John 6, 61. Does this offend you? This little thing? Hmm. We're going to have some fun. What then if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending? And then John 21, 22. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Eyes on your own paper. What it all means. Why ask what he already knows? Full story means full glory to the Father. This is an opportunity for everyone around to hear all the details that Jesus already knows, but that we don't. It helps our personal processing and it keeps us in the conversation with him. I can't tell you how many times I've had a math student come to me and say, Mr. Thorpe, I don't understand this word problem. I'm like, okay. Read it to me. Now, I don't need to hear the word problem, do I? I don't have to pass the class. I don't have to graduate from high school anymore. I did this already. I'm not the one doing it. But if they read it out loud, nine times out of ten, something clicks that didn't click before when they were reading it in their head. And they'll go, oh, now I know what to do. Thanks, Mr. Thorpe. I'm like, glad to help. <laughs> Back to that, haven't you read? Isn't it written? I think maybe you've read something like this before somewhere. <laughs> Why ask for reasons? Again, he wants us participating. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We are on the field, and if you don't move, you're going to get hit. You're probably going to get hit, hit even if you do move. But it hurts more if you're not moving, too. I learned that from playing high school football. He wants us. He wants us doing it with him. And why ask why? Because he asks that a lot. Well, because he's the most intentional being ever. He's got plans, purposes, and reasons for what he does, and it's always something good. 
but we're not going to see it if we're not engaged with him. If we don't listen to the question and start looking for the answers, we're going to miss it. And we have to be asked again, haven't you read, isn't it written? Because we forget. We need to practice that. We need that shepherd. And he asks us if we get it, because there is always more with him. Praise the Lord that he's not boring. Sometimes we get a little edgy, but he's not boring, thankfully. Wouldn't a boring God be terrible? Why would we stay, right? God knows this principle that is employed in video gaming in which you don't want to make things too hard or too easy or people won't play. God gives every life blessing that we don't deserve and suffering that we, at first glance, say we don't deserve. (laughs) But he doesn't make life too hard or too easy for us because we're supposed to be doing it with him. That's the point. It's important. So our good shepherd shows us his firm but gentle hands as he brings us back again and again to the reality and truth we keep trying to avoid. So let us pay careful attention to the questions God is asking us. He has a reason for asking, and he wants us to know the answers. He's not the author of confusion. Walking with him deliberately decimates our ignorance. He calls us to know and to learn much more, to grow more, and to become more than we ever thought possible. He doesn't need us. He greatly desires us. He has the answers, and he asks us the question so that we may join him in his steps in the way, in his thoughts in truth, and in his fierce, wild love, his life. Knock, knock. Who's there? Come and see.